All right, let's get started. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 22, and um, you know we've kind of looked uh, at the first part of this chapter. If you remember, when I first started this, we looked at the world preparing for the Passover as the uh, religious leadership was seeking how they might destroy Jesus because they perceived in Jesus as a threat to their status and their place uh, politically and religiously and and so forth and so on. So this is a, something that they created for themselves and Jesus was threatening it and so they wanted to destroy Jesus. So we also, last week, we saw the devil in hell prepare for Passover as... Um, the devil influenced a, a false disciple of Jesus, a willing disciple of Jesus named Judas Iscariot in his attempt to uh, thwart uh, God's will on earth. And now, um, of course, that's that spirit of Antichrist that's at work in the world. I don't know if you remember, um, I think it was Mark Trotter that was in here preaching. And when he preached on that spirit of Antichrist, uh, you know, I've always kind of knew that. But uh, he kind of really opened up my eyes about some things. But uh, there's definitely a spirit of Antichrist at work in the world. And, of course, we know who's behind that. So we looked at that a little bit uh, last week. And um, in spite of all of the machinations of the world and of the devil, um, he's, not going to throw, he's not going to thwart God's will on heaven or in heaven or on earth. Uh, his will will be done no matter what. But uh, now we're going to look at the third aspect of this in Luke chapter 22. And that's where heaven prepares for the Passover. Heaven is preparing for the Passover. And so uh, let's go ahead and we'll read verses 7 through 13. So at least we'll have it in our minds. And then we'll uh, get into this uh, lesson. In uh, Luke 22 verse 7 it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And you shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Uh, Father, we come now to you, Lord, as we look into this passage, uh, as Jesus is preparing uh, the Passover with his disciples. And we know, Father, that um, Jesus Christ is the Passover. And so, Father in heaven, this is a very significant time in his life. This is a very significant time in his disciples' life, and it is a very significant time in our own life. Because without Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God, there is no hope. We have no hope in this life or in the life to come. So, therefore, we are thankful, Lord God, that uh, uh, your Lamb voluntarily laid down his life for our sakes. And that's what we're getting ready to study about. And we appreciate it, and we praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. So um, this is the third and final Passover that the Lord will observe together with his uh, 12 chosen men. And um, um, it is a very good possibility uh, that there were others also gathered, but 
there that night, uh, a little maybe set apart a little bit from the Lord and his disciples. But that was common in a home. That was very common in a home. And um, the reason why I say that is because, um, and I, I can I can appreciate uh, their um, study in this, but there are some folks uh, that uh, teach that. Um, that these men, uh, Peter and John, uh, they were um, directed by this one peri- uh, carrying the pitcher of water uh, to a home that belonged to uh, John Mark's mother, okay, Mary, and whose, whose home would later on become a uh, gathering place for the early church in the city of Jerusalem. And we read about that in the book of Acts. It was uh, the home, this was the home that Peter went to. If you remember, he was put in a prison and the angel came and released him from prison and, and put him in, out in the city. And, and it was this home uh, of Mary's that Peter uh, went to when he was miraculously delivered. We read about that in, in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And from all the expectation of the people of the Jews, and when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So it was in this home of Mary, who, you know, her son is John Mark. It was in this home that they were praying for Peter and they were meeting together as a church. Now, the reason why folks believe that it was this particular home that Peter and John uh, were sent to uh, is because of, a, a, a you know, you take kind of like a detective and you put all the clues together. Well, that's what we're going to do here. We're going to put all the clues together. And there's an interesting passage found in Mark's gospel. Turn to Mark chapter 14, if you will. But there's an interesting passage in Mark's gospel. Now, Mark is the uh, John Mark is the one who wrote Mark's gospel. Okay, uh, he's the one who wrote uh, this gospel, and uh, he put an inter- He's always putting these little interesting details. If you read Mark's gospel, uh, he'll tell you that the grass was green where Jesus fed the five thousand. Okay, so that to me is what evidence of an eyewitness to that account, right? An eyewitness would bring up that kind of detail. So if you read through his gospel and you pay attention, he's got all of these nice little details that would only come from an eyewitness or someone that was actually there. Well, here's an interesting little, another little interesting thing found in his gospel here in Mark 14, 50. Uh, This is when, this is when they came to arrest Jesus. All right. And uh, when the disciples fled and they all forsook him and fled and there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men who came to arrest Jesus laid hold on him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them uh, naked. So, like I said, John Mark is the one who wrote this gospel that bears his name. He's also a nephew of Barnabas, uh, Colossians 4.10. And he was also a very close companion to the Apostle Peter. And it's only in Mark's gospel that we read this uh, little detail uh, about this young streaker in the garden. Okay, this young man who ran away naked. Only Mark's gospel uh, has this detail. Uh, so it's very, very possible 
uh, that when Jesus and his men uh, left the home and proceeded to the garden, uh, that young John Mark was nearby, asleep or maybe dozing, and uh, he heard these, he heard Jesus and his men get up and start leaving, and so he wrapped this linen cloth around him so he could go follow uh, to see what was going on, to follow follow them and, and to be with them, and so. Um, it may be that, um, um, you know, why else would he put this little piece of information in Mark's gospel? You know, other than this is what happened to me. This is, this is where I was at this time. Uh, that would also be a, a confirmation to those who would read Mark's gospel that I was there, I saw this take place type of thing to confirm what was being written. And so it may be that the man that these disciples were to look for when they went to prepare the place, it may have been John Mark himself sent out to, to fill the pitcher full of water uh, for the preparation of Passover. And certainly this would be a task that a young man would do for his mother. You know, uh, John Mark's mother said, you know, we're going to need water uh, for tonight. Uh, so go get some water from the well. And while you're doing that, uh, look out for uh, some of uh, Jesus' men. It's very, very possible. Because look here in Luke 22.10. And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking to Peter and John, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you. There shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water, follow him into the house where he entereth in. The word, the wording there, there shall a man meet you, speaks of someone who is expecting you. Okay? Someone who is looking out for you. Uh, we see this same kind of thing in Luke 9.37. And it came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. Okay? Same wording. The intimation here is that the people were gathered in a certain spot waiting for Jesus to come down off of the hill. And they knew that Jesus had to pass that way. It must have been a pathway or a roadway. So they waited there to meet him as he came down off the hill. They were expecting him to pass that certain way. Another passage... Uh, that goes along with this same kind of thinking, Acts 10.24. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and he had called together his kinmen and near friends, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, right? And fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Again, we have the same idea here. Uh, Cornelius knew that Peter was soon to arrive into his home, and so he was right there, ready to greet Peter, right there, ready to welcome him. So there was no chance meeting. It was Cornelius was looking for Peter to come into his home, and so he was welcoming him. Okay, one more by the voice, by the the word of two or three witnesses. Let the matter be established, right? One more Hebrews seven one for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So once more we see here in this verse in Hebrews that Melchizedek is in anticipation of Abraham's return all right, from his victory over the kings and, and rescuing Lot and all the people. And so he was standing there waiting 
expecting Abraham to pass by the way, to meet him in order to bless him. So again, I think we've got this young man, very probably John Mark, who was there to meet with John and Peter to, sh- to lead them back to the home where they were to have that supper. Another interesting passage, turn to Matthew 26, just to keep going along in the same train of thought. In Matthew 26, in verse 17, very same incident, just a different perspective. Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand, I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. So if we take Luke's account, and we take Mark's piece of news, and we take Matthew's record, it may be that John Mark was sent out with a dual purpose from his home to get water and look for these men sent by Jesus, and to bring them to his home, right? And bring him to his home. I think that's very probable. I think that's very probable. 1 Corinthians 14 says, let all things be done, 1440 says, let all things be done decently in order. Is our God a God of order? Is our God one who does things decently in order? Yes, he is. He definitely is. And this takes nothing away from the Lord because there are some folks who try to, to i got to be careful here because I don't want to sound like, but there are some folks that kind of super spiritualize and super mysticize things. And I don't mean to take anything away from the Lord, he, but he is a God of order. And it's very, very possible that he had arranged this place to meet for this very important Passover. It's very possible. Very possible. I mean, Jesus himself would later say to his disciples in Luke twenty-two fourteen through 15, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This was a significant Passover. Significant Passover. And it's not a stretch to believe that the Lord would have made these arrangements at some point during the week while he was there in Jerusalem to meet at this particular home, given the significance of this Passover. These men would have recognized this, the young John Mark pairing the pitcher of water, and they would have freely followed him to his mother's home to prepare the Passover. Now there's a couple of things here. One, that the Lord did not tell his disciples prior to these arrangements is not unusual for the Lord. He would often test his disciples in matters. For example, John 6, 5. 
When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. You know, there are times that all we have to go by is what the Lord has told us in his word. Okay? Especially in times of confusion or uncertainty or when things don't make sense, we have God's truth to trust in. And sometimes that's all we have is God's truth to trust in, in spite of what it looks like is going on around us. We must trust in God's word. Psalms 118.6 through 9 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Sometimes that's all we have to go on is God's word. God's word. And our part is to be obedient and trust in God for the right outcome. And don't allow fear or despair or anxiety to rule our hearts and minds. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You know, if we, it's when we choose to deviate what God has clearly said in his word, thinking that we know better, That's when we find ourselves in unpleasant circumstances or being controlled by our senses, such as fear. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So sometimes all we have to go on is what God says in his word, and it's it's we have to trust in that. We have to trust that God is a good God, and no matter what it looks like, is coming down the pipe, everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. And the other thing is that we see here, it's not wrong to plan. It's not wrong to plan. It's okay to plan. It's okay to work off of a plan. In fact, it's wise to do so. It's folks who fly by the seat of their pants that get themselves in trouble. But it's wise to plan. It's not sinful to plan. It's not a lack of faith on your part to plan as long as you include God in your plans, right? As long as you include God in your plans. So I think it's very, very probable that Jesus planned for this very significant Passover. And he prearranged a location where he and his men could observe this very special night unmolested together just as he desired. 
And these disciples did just as the Lord instructed them. And they found all things ready. Luke twenty-two eleven. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? See, to me, that's a previous conversation had. And he shall show you a large room furnished there, make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. You know, this home would be just like all the Jewish households who would be preparing for this feast. Uh, Beginning on the 13th of Nisan, what they would do is they would scour the house for any sign of leaven. And when any leaven was found in the house, they would either remove it or they would burn it. So they would cleanse the house of any leaven. And then by noontime on the 14th day of Nisan, the day of the Passover, after a final search to the house, then they would make the unleavened bread for that evening's meal. And by 3 p.m. on the 14th, uh, the Passover lamb would be killed and they would prepare the lamb for that meal, for that time. And so it would be these arrangements that Jesus' disciples would attend to that they would see that everything would be in readiness for their observance that later on that evening. That's what they were sent to take care of. And they found everything in order. They found everything in order. Now we read here about the disciples preparing the Passover. But I mentioned heaven prepares for the Passover, prepared for this particular Passover. And that's what I want to talk about, is heaven preparing for this Passover. Notice what it says here in Luke 22, 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. When the Passover must be killed. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. This is Peter writing to the church. This particular church is probably predominantly has a Jewish um, population, but they're believers in Christ. And he's writing to them in verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a what? A lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. If there were ever a life lived that could truly be considered to be foreordained before the foundation of the world, it would be the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The place here in 1 Peter 1.20 is the only place in your Bible where you're going to find that word foreordained. And it's in reference to Jesus' Christ's work on Calvary. That's the only place you're going to find it. From the very beginning of our Lord's time on earth, 
It is this moment when the Passover must be killed that overshadowed his entire life, his entire ministry. It was this day, this Passover. Even when, turn to Luke 2, chapter 2. Even when Jesus was a small, tender infant in the arms of his mother Mary, the purpose of his life was always within the shadow of the cross. We sing a Christmas um, hymn or a carol that speaks this truth. Hark the herald angels sing. One of my favorite lines in the carol goes like this, Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That's the purpose of the coming of the Lamb of God. This was Jesus' mission foreordained by God the Father in the councils of heaven. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. When Joseph and Mary came to the temple to present the young child, they were met by a man by the name of Simon or Simeon. It says here, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast, what? Prepared before the face of all the people and a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. It is this preparation that this agent saint had seen by the light of the Holy Ghost that would soon come to pass here in Luke chapter 22. For indeed the plan of God's redemption is that the Lamb of God must be killed. For without his death there would be no life. No life for mankind. Hebrews 9.15 says, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. On each Passover, each, uh, each household must choose a male lamb without blemish or spot to be slain. There must be no broken bones, no deformity of any kind, and it must be from the flock of the first year, that is, under the year, uh, under one uh, uh, year of age, that denotes perfect uh, innocence, prime of health. And they choose this lamb, the best of the flock, to sacrifice. First John, or John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. God had chosen his best. Jesus Christ. He had chosen his best, his lamb, for his household. And he had prepared for this particular Passover since the foundation of the world. Heaven is preparing for the Passover. Since the fall of Adam, God in heaven has prepared for this Passover. 
When our first parents attempted to cover their sin by the works of their own hands, God had taught them a horrible lesson about sin. Ezekiel 18.4 says, Behold, all souls are mine as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel 18.4 He taught them that they could do nothing about their sin. And their attempts to cover their sin by the works of their own hands did nothing about the consequence of sin. For the wages of sin is death. So God showed to man the cost of atonement. Numbers 15, 27 through 28 says, And if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. The word atonement means to cover. To cover. An animal was slain. Blood was shed. And Adam and Eve were covered with the coats of its skin in place of the fig leaves. I believe for the sake of consistency of the type, I believe that the animal chosen by God to cover Adam and Eve was a lamb. It was a lamb. Jesus Christ is our atonement. He had to die so that he could be our covering. For by his shed blood we are covered in his righteousness. Romans 5.11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, the covering. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We are covered in his righteousness because of his shed blood. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. In Abel, we see the necessity of the slain lamb. The necessity of the slain lamb. In Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3, And in processes of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell, and the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. You see, Cain sought to be accepted by God through offering the fruits of his labor that came from a cursed earth because of Adam's sin. You see, his offering would not be good because it came from a cursed earth. God had refused Cain's offering for the lesson to be learned is what Paul wrote to the Hebrew believers about in Hebrews 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. You see, the way of Cain that the Bible talks about 
is the way of all the religions of the world based upon man's good works. That man can be accepted in the eyes of God by man's good works and man's offerings and man's sacrifices. You see, the way of Cain teaches that man can approach God without the blood of the Lamb. That his fig leaves are good enough. That his merits and his good deeds will make him accepted before God. Like I said, Cain offered the fruits of a cursed ground. And the lesson of the fig leaves was lost on Cain. And thinking that man's best is good enough and that a bloodless offering is sufficient. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. You see, Abel learned his lesson well from God concerning the blood of an innocent for the guilty. And so by faith he offered one of his best firstlings from the flock. Because Adam, uh, Abel knew that the necessity of the slain lamb was needed for remission of sin and acceptance with God. He learned his lesson well. Ephesians 1 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Only in Christ Jesus' shed blood will we find acceptance before a holy God. There's no other way. The Passover must be killed. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. God continued to prepare for the Passover, for this particular Passover. In Genesis Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham learned an important lesson when God commanded Abraham to offer his beloved son Isaac. In Genesis 22, 6, we read, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they, won't, so they went both of them together. You see, the lesson for us is that God will provide the lamb. That God will provide the lamb. And that the lamb provided by God will serve as man's substitute. So that man need not die in his sin. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting God, uh, everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
saved. And again, 1 John 4, 9. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, the way of Cain teaches that man is intrinsically good and that God will accept him according to his good works and, to his, and his good merits. But is this what the Bible teaches us? As everybody sits there and stares at me. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. What does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, all, who does that include? Everybody, without exception. From the Pope to the gutter rat, without exception. The justice of God must be appeased. His law has been broken. He has declared that the soul that sinneth, it must, be, it must die. So what is that soul to do? What is that soul to do? Well, God is a God of grace. And he has provided man with an appeasement. An appeasement. John 3, uh, Romans 3, 24 continues, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. In the Old Testament, the high priest on the day of atonement would enter into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And on this Ark of the Covenant would be a mercy seat. This is the seat where the cherubims were facing each other and their wings were covering the mercy seat. And the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And he would take the blood of a slain lamb and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seats as an atonement for the people's sins for that year. And that God would, he would be appeased of his wrath because of his broken law. And his people would stand before God, justified because of the sprinkled blood of the Lamb on that mercy seat. Now twice I've read the word propitiation. It's one of those big high dollar words you learn about in Bible college. Well, don't waste your money. Okay, don't waste your money. The word propitiation is also translated as mercy seat. In Hebrews 9.5, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat. It's the same word translated propitiation, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He is our blood-sprinkled mercy seat. So when God looks upon his broken law, what he sees first is our mercy seat, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Jesus Christ's blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat to appease God's wrath against guilty sinners. And now we stand justified forever before God. Because of our 
propitiation, because of our mercy seat, because he shed his blood as the lamb to appease God's wrath against us. Further preparation is seen in heaven on the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. This is what we're seeing here in Luke 22:7, where we read the Passover must be killed. In Exodus 12, the emphasis is laid upon the slaying of the lamb. The lamb must die. And the reason why the man the lamb must die because the blood must be applied. That's what he says here in Exodus 12. When I shall see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. The lesson is the lesson of redemption. More specifically, that redemption that's only possible through the shed blood of the Lamb. Each household had to apply the blood of the Lamb upon their own doorposts and the lintel for, for the redemption of the firstborn within the home. And those homes that failed to do so, do as God had commanded, suffered a death, suffered loss within the home. You see, this speaks to us of personal appropriation of what God has provided. Personal appropriation of what God has provided as far as our redemption is concerned. Those folks in Exodus 12 acted in faith and obedience to what Moses told them to do in order to deliver their households. They appropriated for themselves what they were told to do. Many believe in Jesus. Many have heard the gospel. But unless you appropriate that to your own self, it does you no good. It does you no good. I was raised in a particular denomination uh, where the crucifix was everywhere. It was in the church, churches I attended. It was in my home, it was in my bedroom. It was in my car. Everywhere that I went, the crucifix was, was always present before me. And it wasn't until I was a young man uh, that someone explained to me that Jesus is no longer nailed to that cross, that he has risen from the dead. And that young man explained to me why he was there in the first place. And what I needed to do about it. I always knew why he was there. But I never heard about my own personal responsibility, if you will. I never heard that. I never heard that. First uh, Timothy 4.10 says... For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach... Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men... I believe that. But then Paul says, especially of those that believe, there must be a personal decision upon every soul 
to believe that Jesus Christ shed blood gives them redemption in the eyes of God. Do not trust in your fig leaves. Do not trust in your denominations. Do not trust in your religious artifacts in your home. It is only faith, personal faith, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you have any hope at all. That's the lesson. That's the lesson. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Have you appropriated that by faith to your own personal self? I hope so. I hope so. Turn to Isaiah 53. We're coming to the close. As heaven prepares for the Passover. Isaiah 53. An amazing, amazing chapter. Isaiah 53 and verse 4. Further preparation of the Passover. And God now identifies who that lamb is. He says in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He was taken... um, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, He he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now don't get nervous. I'm not going to go through this whole chapter point by point. Okay? I don't have the time. <laughs> or the voice. But let me point out some things here. God has now revealed through his prophet Isaiah that his chosen lamb is a person. It's a man. So far in heaven's preparation as we've seen all the way from Adam and Eve up to this point in Isaiah, we've been talking about what? An animal. An innocent lamb. An animal is what we're talking about. But now here in Isaiah 53, God is saying, my lamb is a man. Is a man. And you can divide this chapter in two ways 
From the human side of the cross, we see he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's from the human side of the cross. That's you and me. And then on the divine side of the cross, we read, For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many. That's on the divine side of the cross. That's from God's perspective. And sandwich in between these two sides of the cross we read he was oppressed he was afflicted yet he openeth not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and his sheep before his shears is dumb so he openeth not his mouth because you see Jesus Christ bridges that gap between man and God bringing about reconciliation by shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary he stands in the gap for you and me he stands in the gap for you and me and this was, brings us back to what John declared in John one twenty nine. the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that Passover Lamb this is all a shadow of this Passover when the Passover must be killed Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that type he is the lamb chosen from the foundation of the world Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 7 for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us he is the chosen lamb of heaven for our atonement, our propitiation, our substitute, our redemption, our protection, our absolution, our deliverance, and the expiation of our sins. He is our redemption, our salvation, and our eternal glory. And the question is this. Have you, by faith, appropriated his blood to your sinful soul if you have not you are without hope but if you have you have the hope of everlasting life he is our Passover ordained from the foundation of the world praise God amen holy father in heaven we are so very grateful and we have no clue lord to 